Welcome to the Spirit-Led Podcast, your guide on a journey to full enlightenment in this beautiful life. I'm your host, Joan Hope Craig. Each episode, we explore spiritual wisdom, life's purpose, and the profound impact of daily choices on our personal growth and the world. Welcome, beloved divine listeners, and welcome to today's guest, Reverend Michael Gadway. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, I'll just give a quick introduction for the listeners who maybe haven't met you yet. Michael Gadway also uses the monastic name Swami Kaivalyananda, and he is an ordained minister and a writer. And at the Center for Spiritual Awareness, he is also our director of ministry and education and a board member. He's involved with planning and delivering programs, as well as training and supporting ministers like me. And earlier in his career, he was a chiropractic physician, did study, deep study of Vedic astrology and philosophy, and also worked at the Ayurvedic Institute alongside Dr. Vasant Ladd, which may be a familiar name for many listeners. Personally, just want to welcome Michael as my mentor, teacher, and guide, and someone that I'm really grateful to have in my life. So thanks for being here today. Thank you. That was a very nice introduction. I appreciate it all true and um, from my heart. Well, let's let people know a little bit about you. I'll start with the easy question. Uh, tell them where you live, but also where you grew up in your hometown. I live now in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've lived here for about four years, and I commute back and forth between Lakemont, Georgia, and Raleigh, North Carolina. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York called Lake Placid, New York, which some of you may have heard of it. It's where the 1932 and 1980 Winter Olympics were held. So I grew up in this sort of um, natural winter wonderland, um, which was a really great experience growing up in four, four complete seasons. Mm. A really long winter. <laughs> I have not been there, but my parents have. And they're from, both of my parents are from upstate New York. So I've been up oh. there, but not much in the winter. <laughs> where upstate are they from? My dad is from Rochester, and my mom is from Cleveland, New York. I don't know where Cleveland is, but I have good friends from Rochester. Hardly anybody knows where Cleveland, New York is. Mm. <laughs> it is on Lake Oneida, so it's okay. out there, small mm. town. I think they've got one one diner and one stoplight, maybe. Uh, but anyway, well, great. And so we wanted to bring you on the podcast because you're about to release your seventh book. I am. And, yeah, which is really exciting. And thank you for the sneak preview of it. So we want to hear, you know, what do you want to share with the audience about your new book? Why maybe why you wrote it and what you wanted to achieve with it? The book's called You're With Me Now. And I wrote this book as an autobiographical experience. My lessons I learned from God and from my guru, Roy Eugene Davis. Um, I, I, I suppose I wrote the book for the same reason I write all my books, and that is I have a drive that I can't explain to creatively express spirit. For me, that is in the written word. I like crafting the word. I like being a wordsmith. I like sharing the experience. <clears throat> so this experience was for me more 
a continuation of that expression of creativity, spiritual creativity. But I also wanted people to know my perception and my experience with Roy Eugene Davis, because I often hear stories about Roy that are not my experience of him. My experience of him was as a very loving, kind, gentle, and patient teacher. And for me, he was more my spiritual father, a paternal figure, and less the disciplinarian uh, that they describe him as. You know, I experienced a very loving, kind relationship with him over 30 years, and I wanted people to know this aspect of my guru. That's why I wrote this book this time. Mm, I think you did a great job of that. And as you were talking, I thought about, you know, that Roy wrote a book about his guru that was his experience with Yogananda, Yogananda as I knew him. And so you kind of continued in that vein. And also, there were pieces of the book that reminded me to, of Autobiography of a Yogi mm. by Yogananda in some of the experience that you experiences that you had that were a little bit mystical or powerful. So I thought you did a great job of of presenting those and showing your your experience of of Roy Eugene Davis. Yeah, I wanted every I didn't want it just to be a collection of stories. That was not my intent when I wrote the book. I wanted it to have a story and each story has a moral or a lesson attached to it. And I wanted to share that lesson that I learned in connection with the stories. So yeah. it, just, it doesn't read just like somebody's life unfolding for you. That isn't what I was interested in as a spiritual person and a spiritual teacher. Yeah, I feel like you accomplished that too. And there's some concepts in the book that we're going to go into deeper in our conversation today. I'm, I'm eager to hear you um, share with the audience. But before we get into the, maybe those those lessons and the and the concepts, I'd love to hear one of the stories from the book. And would is there one that that you would like to share today? Probably, if I was going to choose a story, I would choose the story that the title of the book comes from. And you're with me now was the title of the book, and that story that I tell in the book. When I first came to CSA, I don't know if it was, the, I think it was the second summer, actually, that I came to Roy. Somehow Roy knew my family life and the trauma that I grew up with. And he, Roy was very intuitive. He didn't brag about it. You, he never talked about it, but he would just do and say things that you knew he knew. And in those days, Roy's habit was, uh, and there was a lot of people in those days, you know, 60 people or more came to CSA for a single seminar, but he enjoyed going around the room and he, you would tell him where you're from, your name and where you're from. And he seemed to take a lot of joy in that. Uh, also, he liked to know where people, different people came from all over the country or world even, but he also would listen. And if he heard several people come from the same place, he would mark that in his mind as a place that maybe they would want to have a seminar with him. So when it came my turn, I said, you know, Michael Gadway. And I, at the time was from Raleigh, North Carolina. And then when I told him my name and where I was from, he just got quiet. It was this, there was a shift in consciousness when 
suddenly. And then he looked at me and he said, what do your parents think of you coming? Now, I was only 26, 27 years old, and I had no filter whatsoever. And I just looked at him and I said, oh, they think I'm worshiping cows. And he didn't, he didn't say anything for a moment. And then he said, uh, well, what is their affiliation? You know, how do they think? And I told him the fundamental organization that they belong to, Christian fundamentalists. And um, then he was quiet again. And I said, well, I mean, I just sort of blurted out, well, I guess it's better than nothing like that. And Roy said, oh, I don't know about that. And then he got real quiet again. And then he just, you know, he was sitting in his orange chair and he just looked at me intently. And I could feel the, the shift in consciousness. And he said, well, they don't need to worry. You're with me now. Just like that. And then he just moved on to the next person. And there was something about that interchange because he had not yet accepted me for discipleship. And there was something in that exchange in consciousness and commitment that cemented uh, my drive to make sure that uh, he accepted me for discipleship. And I committed at an internal level even deeper from just those few words that he said. So I had a profound, that simple affirmation that he gave to me personally shifted my consciousness and my commitment to him in the past. Thank you for that story. And and it was and it happened. You're with me now. You you're still with Roy in your spirit and you stayed as a disciple for 30 years after that. Over 30 day. years. Yeah, so it was really a a life-changing moment and there's several of those you described in the book. So I want to just encourage the listeners to check out the book and we'll make sure that we link to a way to to find it in the podcast notes uh, there's many other stories in the book of small moments with Roy Eugene Davis that were really deeply impactful for your life and and set you on you know on the path that you're on now Roy rarely wasted words and everything he said especially in quiet moments if you got quiet yourself inside, it came, not only did the words come with a message, they came with a spiritual consciousness behind them. And that consciousness, coupled with his verbalization, was very powerful to change. It assisted you in shifting your spiritual paradigm and raising it to his level. You know, he would not come down to people on their level. He always encouraged us to rise up into his level and expand our consciousness and break down those awareness barriers. And you could feel that when he walked into a room. You know, the Yoga Sutras refer to it as a people that are very awake, they walk in what's known as a dharmic cloud. And when Roy walked into a room, you could feel the entire room shift vibrationally. And that dharmic cloud of spirit emanated from him. And a lot of times he would walk in the room and I wouldn't see him. I would just feel the shift in consciousness and look up and there he was. So he had that. It wasn't something he did. It was just what he what and who he was. 
I've heard other other people describe that as well. That sense of oh, Roy's in the room. Mm-hmm. You can feel it. Unmistakable. And, and and also though you were receptive to feel it, and I, and I'm not saying that from from you have I know you you have worked a lot with your ego, and it's it's not I'm not saying it in a way of of you're special, but also maybe you are because not everybody felt it. Not everybody was aware enough or attuned enough or open enough to feel that and and to receive it. I wouldn't say that I was special. What I would tell people is that the guru is a servant of God. But God and guru can only help us at the level we are receptive to. And the less ego that's in the way, the more open we are to it. So people who were more interested in liberation and less interested in self-promotion tended to be open to receiving what he had to offer more. And they that that connection, there wasn't all the mental confusion egotistical confusion to get in the way of experiencing that presence yeah thank you for clarifying that i've heard you say similar things and it's about getting the ego out of the way and mm-hmm. then we can be receptive to all blessings um, and actually that leads into something else i wanted to ask about which is really let's touch on some of the big concepts in the book those lessons that you learned and you said and I may not have your words exactly right, but to the what I took from your book is that radical acceptance and surrender are your path uh, of spiritual awakening. And I wanted to talk more about both of those. So could we start with radical acceptance? Talk about that, first of all, like acceptance, and then like why? what makes acceptance radical? And what does that mean in your life? So for me, the... And often in Western terms, the word surrender has a negative connotation with it. It has this connotation of giving up, giving out, giving in. But that's not the surrender that uh, the Vedas teach. Surrender in the Vedic sense has more uh, to do with an acceptance, a radical acceptance of the circumstances. So I prefer to use the word radical acceptance, but I mean by it surrender. And by surrender, I mean radical acceptance. I don't mean giving up. So I suppose if I was going to describe radical acceptance, which was a term coined by Marshall Linehan in the 90s, uh, radical acceptance is based on the understanding that suffering doesn't come from pain, but one's attachment or aversion to the pain. So this approach... By the way, it's in direct alignment with Samkhya Yoga philosophy and the description of dukkham or suffering that's in Samkhya Yoga and in the Bhagavad Gita. So it's very much in line with uh, yoga and yoga teachings. Matter of fact, most yoga teachings presuppose that you're already at the point of accepting what's in front of you, your karma, so to speak, and that you're ready to get on and work with it. And as a matter of fact, the entire Bhagavad Gita is about facing down your karma, radically accepting what's there and moving on. 
And even when we read the Bhagavad Gita, the opening start line with, with Arjuna and Krishna, Arjuna doesn't want to face down his enemies, the stuff in his mind. And Krishna says, no, no, this is behavior unbefitting a spiritual warrior. You must accept your dharma, your karma, as being there. And radical acceptance, the way I choose to teach it, has that same spiritual essence about it. So radical acceptance is a process of giving up the illusion of being able to control everything in your world, all the events and circumstance, and, and embracing a willingness to notice and accept ourselves and things just as they are without judgment. It's a, it's a very large step forward in spiritual evolution because what yoga teaches us is to be the witness. Well, how do you be the witness? And learning the process of radical acceptance and yoga is learning to be the witness, allowing thoughts and feelings to rise and recede like waves on the mind, knowing that you are not these, these thoughts, these waves, neti neti, not this, not that. And it's by accepting our thoughts and feelings and circumstance that we may perceive as unchangeable or out of our control as they are and saying, I'm accepting this with as much grace and dignity as I can muster. That's really radical acceptance. So it's cultivating what the psychologists call distress tolerance learning to be okay under all circumstances. And this is in direct alignment with yoga, which teaches us to disidentify from our thoughts and feelings. I'm not that thought, I'm not that feeling. And I teach radical acceptance as a way to get there. Thank you, that was a lot to take in so i'm still processing it a little bit yeah and 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 maybe i'll just start by echoing back a little bit of what i heard which is part of it is accepting what i can't change part of it is accepting what i see in front of me part of it is accepting who i am and my own thoughts feelings whatever might be going on in my body and maybe also things that are going on in the world it's it's seeing it all and being able to step back and and go okay i'm i'm a soul witnessing these things happening it requires a level of detachment but it's compassionate detachment talk about that more because because Sometimes I try not to, but sometimes I do feel overwhelmed by maybe what I see in the news or even in my own life, right? Sometimes I see sadness and pain and hurt, and I have my own fears. How can we practice that compassionate detachment? Well, to understand compassion is a very important part of yoga. It's actually one of the um, stations of Brahma that's explained in potentially Yoga Sutras. And it's this understanding that there is not a separation in spirit between you and me and them and us. And so every step we move forward 
moves all of creation forward. And so when we help ourselves and when we help others, we don't just help a single person. We're helping raise the vibration of everything. But detachment comes when we realize we are not the doer. I have myself do nothing. The Father within does the work. When we allow ourselves to be spirit-led, spirit by nature is graceful and uplifting, and that grace and upliftment comes through compassion. When we reach out to help somebody, when we assist somebody in their spiritual awakening process, when we see somebody who's hungry and we offer them food or comfort or sustenance in some way, shape, or form, we are, in fact, acting as an agent of grace. The detachment must come, though, because as we reach out to help people, we don't have control over the outcome or the how it, how it unfolds or manifests. We do what is in front of us to do because it's the right compassionate thing to do. And spirit and grace are always moving forward and uplifting. And we are participating with that process. But we don't own the process. Yeah, that's helpful. So we can see a need in the world and fill it if we're able to. Mm-hmm without being attached to the results and there's going to be some things we see in the world that are out of our control completely and so maybe the way we make a positive impact on that this is what i've come to in my own life is okay i can't impact people in another country who are at war or the grander political scheme and things like that but i can be nice to myself I can be nice to my spouse. I can take care of my neighbor. You know, maybe like you said, those, what is it? When the, when the, when the bird flap, butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon, the, the, the winds change all over the world. Is, is it? Oh, the butterfly is, effect. Yeah. Is it that when we, we make our small acts of kindness, that's one way to touch these bigger hurts in the world. And also, I do think we make an impact when we change our own consciousness. Uh, I know it's a cliche, but it's true. And that is change must begin from within the individual. And when the individual has a shift in his or her spiritual paradigm, their consciousness and all those who come in contact with them benefits from them. And so for every person you meet, dozens and dozens of other people are affected and changed and it and it emanates out from a single point to a 360 degree direction and the entire cosmos is uplifted by a simple shift in our own spiritual paradigm that gives hope gives hope yeah well thank you so can we talk a little bit more about um like tools or practices that you have found helpful in your own life to practice acceptance and surrender? What, what's in your daily and weekly toolkit? The first thing that I do when I'm practicing radical acceptance is I begin to recognize triggers. If you start to know, oh, when somebody says something like this or someone does something like this, I behave and I react in this way, 
that simple ability to begin to recognize what your triggers are in yoga terms means you are beginning to recognize the samskara, the patterns in your mind that are being reflected back to you by the world. And once you become aware of them, you begin to have the ability, it empowers you to make different choices. So the very first tool we need to choose to utilize in radical acceptance spirituality is beginning to recognize what triggers us. That doesn't mean you have to solve it, right? The solution comes by recognition and dissolving its energetic control over you. But that simple act of recognition is probably the simple, single most powerful tool you can begin to utilize to set yourself on the path of liberation. One of the things I'm very passionate about sharing is there is a movement, a current, an undercurrent in the yoga world. And that undercurrent is if I chant loud enough, if I pray hard enough, if I meditate deep enough, if my seva is pure enough, all my challenges get taken care of by some other force outside myself. And that's simply, it's not true. The entire Gita, again, is all about facing down our challenges, so it confuses me. Part of the spiritual path is clearing out the mental clouds that get in the way of the sun shining. And that responsibility is our own responsibility. No God outside of ourselves, no act that we do is going to take over the responsibility that we have to our own spiritual awakening. And so I teach radical acceptance in my classes because there has to have they have to have tools to deal with the stuff that you're cleaning out. And that's the most powerful tool. Yeah. So recognizing those triggers like, oh, I feel my schedule up too busy again. That's one of mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Overcommitting, overdoing. I'm sure people can resonate with their own triggers. Oh, here I am again, having having this similar conversation with myself or someone else. And, and that's an opportunity in the mindfulness movement, of course, we say to pause, right? Mm -hmm. the, there's, a, there's a break between stimulus and response. Um, you touched on something that I, I wanted to ask you to talk about a little bit more. When you said there's this current of like, oh, I can just manifest these wonderful things in my life. And and for myself, I've felt that because I've certainly digested and consumed plenty of that content in my life. For example, when I'm sick or I've got a challenge in front of me, sometimes I, I have caught myself saying in my own mind, well, gosh, maybe I should, I'm just not, I'm just not keeping a positive mental attitude enough or I'm not visualizing success well enough to get out of this mess. But, but what you said is actually eases my mind. I actually just need to deal with it, not try to wish it away or manifest it into something else. So there's a, a movement that the world is supposed to be a reflection of our hopes, dreams, wishes, and thoughts. And that movement is actually losing its power in the world today. It's simply not true. Can you imagine if our random thoughts 
he took form what chaos the world would be in it's already in enough chaos as it is our random thoughts do not create our reality thoughts only take form when they have been spiritualized so this idea that you have a thought oh gee i better not think like that or that negative thinking is going to manifest for me that may or may not be true most likely having a negative thought a single thought that passes through or a reaction isn't going to manifest in your world as instant karma it's just going to move through the mind the only thing that gets grooved into the mind are repetitive thoughts that are in, uh, confirmed with belief so if we want to see our world change another myth is the world is a reflection of our consciousness that's a myth as well the world as we experience it is expressed as what we can contain within our consciousness and in fact that's one of the guru does doesn't it the guru express expands our consciousness so it's this idea this understanding that spirit can only fill a vessel to the point that it's full if you want more spirit you need a bigger vessel and that that vessel is our consciousness the more expansive, the bigger our consciousness, the more spirit can rush in to fill it. And spirit can only express as wholeness, completeness, and perfection. So if we want our world to change, it isn't our random thoughts that we need to worry about. It's shifting our spiritual paradigm, consciousness, expanding our consciousness to contain more. And one of the tools we do to do that is getting rid of all the stuff that gets in the way of our expansion of our consciousness from and our small sense of self-awareness that must grow and expand and dissolve. Michael, you've given us so much good stuff. Like already there's a few things I want to go back to from things you said earlier, but I'm trying to just keep up. I'm loving it. So let's talk about expansion a little bit. So maybe confirm if I'm understanding right. Could I, is it true to say, can I feel in my own body a sense of expansion and con constriction or contraction and know based on that, yes, this experience is helping me expand my consciousness. This experience is making me feel smaller. Um, that's one way I guess I can sense that are there other ways to tell what's good for us as far as expanding our consciousness when it comes to telling it's that old saying the proof is in the pudding how is your life unfolding not meaning that you get everything you want right that's a very immature childish attitude i want what i want when i want it but are you as a person becoming calmer are you seeing things more clearly are you emotionally maturing when you sit to meditate does the depth and profound silence is it growing is it expanding is it increasing do you find yourself able to be more compassionate do you find yourself thinking through things a little more with a little more clarity. All these things are signs of our expansiveness, con our consciousness expanding. And also when it comes to feeling, remember at the different chakras, 
as those chakras open and you are more attuned, you're going to have a sense, not a feeling so much, but a sense of expansion. And when those things are out of balance and being shut down, it's, it's a contraction of consciousness and you start to turn in on yourself, not inward with introspection, but you turn in on yourself with negative criticism and things that you're saying. And you know, the moment you start putting yourself down, your self-esteem goes down. So too, do you take a step away from your connection with spirit? Because spirit is never going to give you the sense of unworthiness. Being in tune with spirit, being spirit-led, always gives you a sense of worthiness. Not me, myself, and I, but aha, as a servant of God, God is expressing through and as me. I am in God and God is in me. And that can only have a sense of without boundaries. There's a difference between awareness and consciousness, and I think it's important for people to learn that difference. Uh, awareness has a boundary. It has a subject and an object. I am aware of you. You are aware of me. Me, God. There's a sense of I-ness and something polar opposite to it. Consciousness has no boundary. There is no I in consciousness. Not the word, but you know what I mean? <laughs> There's no boundary there. So the more in tune with consciousness we are, the less self-aware or the small self we are, the more expansive the sense about it is. Mm, more good stuff. Thank you. And so I, there's so many good takeaways there, but one of them that stood out to me as a real concrete way to know that our consciousness expanding besides the deeper meditations and things like that was just the negative self-talk right mm -hmm. that that's a sign okay wrong direction <laughs> turn around when that starts to happen that's the ego talking and and then we know we're getting we're contracting and it's one of the triggers we can watch for yeah so yeah. the moment we begin begin to put ourselves down uh begin to feel smaller begin to feel less then we need to step up and say no wait a minute and we can have an internal dialogue that is profoundly supportive in our own spiritual growth. And I want to thank you for bringing in the phrase spirit led. Mm. You talked about that some, and I just wanted to share with the audience that, you know, we chose that name to re rename the podcast spirit led because of a conversation you had with Roy. Would you share that? Well, I don't actually share the whole conversation in the book, but I don't mind sharing it with you. So it's kind of a funny conversation I had with Roy. After my wife died, I called Roy because I was facing being alone for the first time in 20 some odd years. It was a very difficult moment. And Roy said to me, well, you've got to go out and get a job. And I said, why do I have to get a job? You know, I was 55 years old and already retired. And he said, well, you, you've got to earn a living. And I said, well, I own my own house. I have no debt and I have so much money in the bank for retirement. And Ray said, oh, you're just fine, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am just fine. And then he said, well, then be spirit-led, Mike. It was that simple. 
So meaning a sense of surrender and let God take you where the next step's going to lead you. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. That's ego. That's egotistical. So Roy's way of saying we need to surrender and radically accept, accept what's in front of us was be spirit-led. And I love, I love, thank you for sharing that story. I, I never heard the context for it. I just knew spirit-led part. And that was some advice that you gave me early on when we met. I was looking for where to go in my career and in what was to become a ministry. And you gave me the same advice. So that's uh, for the listeners. That's the inside scoop on why the podcast is called Spirit Led. And and it's fun to say. <laughs> yeah. And so much time, we spend so much time trying to figure out where we're going to go or where we're supposed to go. We forget to live in the moment we have. And when we're trying to figure out all the time where we're going, where we're headed, how it's going, how the story is going to unfold, we are not surrendered and we miss the graceful moments in our lives and we forget to appreciate what we have in this moment. And that's part of our spiritual growth process, learning to be okay right where we are, content not meaning we're going to sit back and not work hard or any of those things, but we learn to be okay in this moment because we know that when we surrender, when we accept what spirit is presenting to us, we don't have to worry about the outcome. It's already decided for us to our highest, best good. Good wisdom there. I wanted to talk about a couple other things from the book. You talked about the role of the heart. And I really loved how you worded that. I almost want to read it to the audience, but we'll tell them to go get the book and read it themselves. But could you just say a little bit about the heart? And I have a follow-up question that I'll go ahead and say so you can think about it too, which is, you know, in our tradition, we're taught to meditate in the higher brain centers. I want to know about also meditating with a focus on the heart, if that's something you had practiced, if there's a good, you know, certain times in life that are good for that. So just talk more about the heart. I want to hear more there. One of the, I think, errors we make on the spiritual path is assuming that grace is a force outside ourselves. But that doesn't make sense, does it? Because if God is within us, how could grace not also be within us? And there is a sense that this capricious God sitting in a, on a throne is deciding whether we experience or accept grace or not. But that's not how it works. Grace is always present in our lives. We live and have our existence and our being in spirit and in grace. But in order to experience that which is already there, the heart, the fourth chakra, must be open. It's the doorway to higher spiritual perceptions. And if we want to experience God, spirit, consciousness, and all the grace that is inherent to it, it is the heart that we must open. And sometimes that comes 
with challenges and difficulties and loss and pain. And sometimes that comes with lovely things happening. It's different for every person. But when we come from the heart, in the yoga path, we talk about this idea that we are listening to the small, still voice of God within us that is intuition. And by doing that, we learn to make intelligent decisions. That is, we use the intellect and the intuition in perfect balance. And when intellect and intuition are in balance, then we are functioning in this wise mind place. So we have to learn to listen to what our heart tells us, meaning the intuition the voice of God within us. And that is the doorway to higher perception. And it's also the doorway to a more fulfilled, complete life. That's how we're spirit-led. Yeah, that's what I took away from the what you wrote in the book, is that it's exactly what you just said, the doorway to linking up, but also and it's how we connect in our in our mundane daily lives. And and I've always think about I think because I'm just someone that associates with my body so much, I think about my heart being connected to my arms, right? Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the heart chakras right there. And so we serve through our hands usually or through our, our arms. It's how we embrace life, right? And so um, thank you for sharing about that. But about the meditation, sometimes I feel really drawn to meditate with my attention in that chakra. Could you talk about that, your any experiences with that? In the Christian tradition, that's called a sacred heart meditation. There's actually a name for that. When you focus on the heart chakra itself, it's more about an opening and a surrender and acceptance to life just as it is. Learning to put away the mind and all the doubts and all the fears and all the I can'ts or the guilt, those things, and just opening yourself up to an expansive perception of life as it is when the heart is closed off we lose our ability to take a strong step forward in faith because faith is an intuitive process faith is built on believe it or not <clears throat> doubt belief and faith is a triad and when the heart is closed, we lose that intuitive ability to experience true faith. And that is that there is the right and perfect path for us built into our destiny already. We don't have to force it into existence. We just have to learn to listen better. And that listening comes as an act of intuition focused on the heart. So heart meditations are more about accepting ourselves where we're at in this moment and just living in it, existing in it, knowing that this too shall change. Hmm. I feel really lucky to be doing this podcast with you because mm -hmm. I'm getting great wisdom to take into my own life. So I hope the listeners are as well. And and I can't wait to re-listen to it. And then we'll have to have you back to expand on the many gems that you've dropped us <laughs> with oh, your words you. today. So thank you I'm for using to. your, I, I actually jotted down what you said at the beginning. 
you have a drive to um with for creative expression of spirit through words and and I'm feeling it. Thanks for sharing. Oh, it good. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, I want to ask you a lot more, a lot more things, but I think in the interest of time, we'll go ahead and maybe move towards um, a couple wrapping up questions and and maybe save some of the other ones for the next the next visit. So um you were recently initiated as a swami. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think a lot of people would be curious to know about what led you to that decision. How is it affecting your life moving forward tell us tell us what that's like the greatest lesson of my life has been the lesson of surrender and acceptance and of these lessons the most challenging and the one that has been the greatest struggle for me is the one of being alone and lonely that is by far the hardest for me to come to terms with and since my wife died that challenge has been one of the most difficult to come to terms with. I've walked this earth completely alone for the last seven years or so. Interestingly enough, though, when I finally radically accepted that I was going to be alone in this world, a sense of wholeness and completeness filled me. My understanding of spirit growth evolution towards wholeness and completeness is that in the spiritual world, we often use the term perfection, but wholeness and completeness is perfection. And the moment I felt whole, I felt complete. I no longer needed to go out and find someone else to fulfill or complete me or make me feel whole. And when that hit me, also the intuitive knowledge of, oh, it's time for me to be a renunciate. And so that was the process that I went through to get to then. That took several years, by the way. That wasn't just an overnight, I'm going to do this. That, that took several years to ferment before I came to that understanding. And that's why I actually picked the title Kaivalyananda, because that Kaivalyananda means bliss in the great aloneness. And so I chose that title because it's very pertinent to my greatest challenge and experience in this lifetime. Thank you for sharing that. And as you were describing that feeling of completeness and wholeness and not needing anyone or anything to help you feel that, I think that would resonate for it resonates with me I think it will resonate for almost everyone because even if we're in a partnership and not in a renunciate point of life we all want to feel whole and complete within ourselves so thank you for sharing that and um so if someone wanted to find out more about you Michael and stay in touch as far as like getting notified when the book is out or finding out where you're teaching and when what is the best way for people to know that information the best way would be go to our website at uh www.www.csa-davis.org or call center for spiritual awareness and talk to rebecca um, we've put all our summer retreats you're going to be leading one so that's exciting uh, on the website and on our calendar actually 
and we're developing new retreats. And I participate in most of the retreats through the summer and fall. So really CSA is your is your home as far as getting people getting in touch with you is that's the best. It way. is. Yeah. yeah. I represent CSA. I work for CSA and its board of trustees and serve. Okay. That's my way to serve. Is there a special prayer or affirmation or words of wisdom that we could leave the audience with? I usually use the one I've modified it that Paramahatsya Gananda said at the end of his a uh, lot of his services so uh, let's close our eyes and raise our gaze looking out through that space between the eyebrows as though at a distant inner horizon let's inwardly acknowledge the truth of our own existence that at the core we are pure spirit expressing as what we call souls Take a deep breath in, let it go. Divine Mother, Blessed Father, Beloved Friend God, may your light shine steadily in the sanctuary of our continued devotion. And may we see this same light awakened in all hearts everywhere. God, Christ, Gurus, Om, Peace. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Spirit-Led Podcast. Special thanks to our producer, Monty Craig. Please subscribe to catch upcoming episodes. For support in your awakening journey, visit our sponsor, the Center for Spiritual Awareness at csa-davis.org. We offer online group meditations, classes, and in-person retreats at our headquarters in Lakemont, Georgia. Once again, that's csa-davis.org. Until next time, remember your pure essence of being and eternal relationship with the infinite.